Our scripture reading today comes from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Hear these words. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We begin today in John's Gospel, where we've been for the last two weeks. John and John's Jesus is trying to give us frameworks, ways to pull us out of the text, out of these historical and rigid understandings of who Jesus was, and to present maybe a more whimsical, artistic, alive, moving picture of who Jesus was. Last week, Jesus said, I am the door or the gate. And Rob used an illustration from early animal husbandry, one that I think perfectly encapsulated what it means to be the door or the gate, where a shepherd would move his sheep into an area, an area that maybe wasn't fenced in, but but had a lot of trees or, or rocks, and whatever the opening was, he would lay himself there as the hedge of protection, being the gate or the door to the sheep. And today, John pushes that metaphor a bit deeper because the shepherd that was laying down now stands up. Stands up and reveals himself to be the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Now shepherding as a profession has changed over the years, no doubt because of the industrial and agricultural revolutions. I have a friend who's a cattle rancher and he can sit on his, at his kitchen table and with binoculars look across to his field and and make sure that all of his cows are there. And there are shepherds now that that use drones or or cameras and high fences to make sure that their sheep, their investment is protected. They don't have to be right next to them. They don't have to belong to the flock all the time. But a few years ago, it seemed to come into vogue for burnt-out academics and young professionals who had grown disillusioned by everyday society to leave the ivory tower, to, to throw off the trappings of a cubicle, and to try their hand at shepherding. I'm serious, look this up. There, many of them have blogged about it or tweeted about it. Tweeting about shepherding seems interesting to me. They've written books that have sold well and, and, and told stories about their transition to this, this new life of old shepherding. It's as if they wanted to to learn something from the past, maybe to to grow more deeply in an understanding of John's Jesus. 
One man in particular, a man by the name of Axel Linden, was a, a philosophy lecturer at a university in Stockholm. He'd begun to, to grow tired of the academic life, to trying to corral and shepherd a group of students, and he decided, I'm, I'm going to give this life up. I'm going to be a shepherd. He had next to no experience or any business being there other than his great-grandfather was a shepherd and had left him some land. He had no understanding of what it took to raise sheep, but he felt a tug out to the fields to be a shepherd in the old way, like his great-grandfather. He found out quickly that he spent a lot of time fixing fences, fences that then the sheep promptly knocked down. He spent a lot of time filling in holes that sheep, even with their great amount of wool, could somehow wriggle through. And he got used to the round-the-clock care that a flock took more than maybe the grading of papers or the doing of a lecture for students. It took all of his time to be out there alongside the flock, not as a job or as a chore or as a task, but something different. He leaned back on his philosophy education and summed up his time with his sheep as this. It's something that has become a lens to the way that I see the Good Shepherd. He said, I'm not the one who has the sheep, but rather it is the sheep who have me. I'm not the one who has the sheep, but rather it's the sheep who have me. You see, he believed that he belonged to the flock. He was part of the flock. He was one with the flock. This is truly the mark of a good shepherd. Now, it can be easy when we read this scripture to immediately say, well, of course we want the shepherd that is denoted as good in the story, not the hired hand. But I think that misses John's point when he says, good shepherd. You see, Jesus in this gospel is not trying to delineate between a good work ethic or, or who has the most skill in raising sheep. Instead, Jesus wants us to know the lengths that a good shepherd is willing to go for those sheep. Sheep that are ultimately expendable, but to him are a valuable resource. You see, when we read this text and it begins to talk about a hireling and a hired hand, we want to put ourselves opposite to them. Well, obviously, that's not me. I'm not a hired hand. Or we lump the Pharisees in saying, well, they would have been hired to read the text in a way, but, but Jesus would have been different. We want to put ourselves in a different category from the one who is hired. But I have a question for you, and I want you to ask this of yourself. Would you hire someone who was unqualified to watch your sheep? I'm, this is a hard question because most of you don't have sheep. But ask yourself the question to something that you care about. Would you hire someone unqualified to watch your children or, or your animals or your house? Would you hire someone unqualified to watch something you hold so dear? I assume that the answer is no. We would want the best person for the job. But you see, the truth is that sometimes the one that's best on paper, the one that's most qualified, the one that has a, a freshly minted degree from Duke is not always the one that is the good shepherd. Sometimes the best person for the job, the one that is the most qualified, is not the good shepherd. There's a poet, an English poet from the 1800s by the name of John Clare. He grew up the son of a farmer, a poor farmer, which means he had to work. His dad had no money to hire out any of the labor. He yearned to write, but he had to work. Luckily for him, this work influenced 
the way that he wrote stories and poems. And, and one of his poems called The Farmer's Boy gives this distinction between someone who's qualified as a shepherd and someone who is the good shepherd. This is what his poem says. He waits all day beside his little flock, asking the passing stranger, what's o'clock? But those who often pass his daily tasks look at their watches and tell before he asks. So he mutters stories to himself in lies where the thick hedge the warmest house supplies until he hears the hunters far and wide and then he climbs the highest tree to see them ride. He climbs till all the fields are blee and bare and makes the old crow's nest an easy chair. But soon his sheep are not in their grounds. He hastens down and fears that his father will come. He stops the gap and keeps them all in bounds and tends them closely till it's time for home. The boy in this poem is with this flock of sheep day in and day out, so much so that the people that pass by know the questions he's going to ask before he asks them. He doesn't seem to be as attentive as someone who might have been hired would have been. He isn't interested in the finer points of animal husbandry, and yet, despite all that, he knows the importance of these sheep on a familial level. He knows what these sheep mean to his father and to his family, and so he works tirelessly to collect them and to keep them as close as he can to him. He tracks them down no matter how far out they go. He is a good shepherd. He knows that if one gets too far away, they're not, you can't just let it go off and, and not try to reel it in. I had a mentor in the Divinity School who told me a story about a funeral he once performed. He was the chaplain at Duke at the time, and this was a student, a young man who went fishing out on the lake with his friends, and as their boat sped along, his hat blew off. He dove into the water to grab it and never made his way back to the surface. My mentor looked on as his friends came to the pulpit and lamented their, the loss of their dear friend, and they said, what a waste of a great life for a $5 hat. Dying for something expendable, something impermanent, something that is fleeting anyway is not worth it. When the hireling sees a wolf coming, they think, well, I, I better get out of here. I mean, I've worked really hard to gain these skills. I've worked too long. I've earned too many accolades. My resume is too good to die for these sheep. I mean, we can always get more sheep. Sure, it'll be difficult, but I mean, how hard is it to find a well-trained herder? That will just take too much time. In this scenario, the shepherd that is hired looks at the sheep as, as a possession, as something that they have, a statistic on a ledger, an income source. They do not see themselves as belonging to the flock. They do not see themselves as part of the flock. They see themselves as having these sheep. But when they are needed the most, the sheep doesn't have them. Jesus, the good shepherd in John's gospel, is not merely good because he works tirelessly in the fields, making sure all of the stone walls are built and all the gates are closed. No, Jesus, the good shepherd in John's gospel, is not merely good because he guards the sheep against wolves and other animals that would harm them. No, he's not the good shepherd because he has the best resume or is the most qualified. Jesus is the good shepherd in John's gospel because he does not believe that he has the sheep, but rather that the sheep have him. He believes that he belongs to them, that he's part of that flock. The scripture lesson from last week and this week tell us that the shepherd's voice is, is a familiar one, that the sheep know him, that they know 
him because he dwells among them and is with them through all trials and tribulation. And if need be, he does not see them as expendable or replaceable, but instead would lay down his own life because the sheep are not his. He is the sheep's, a humble servant, a true friend, a good shepherd. John, the gospel writer, is trying to shift the paradigm to broaden the scope to present to us an incarnate Jesus, God with us, a God who's not a ruler or a king, a God that is not hired or elected to save us, but who out of deep relationship, fierce love, and abundant grace would lay down his life for people as wayward and as lowly as sheep. Jesus does not have us to own and expend. Jesus, the good shepherd, dwells with us, abides with us, and protects us all the days of our lives. Now, in this gospel, Jesus is quick to also tell us that he is not limited to one pasture or one flock. He says, I am the good shepherd. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Last week in verses 3 through 5, it was said that when the shepherd came to the gate, he would call the sheep by name, and they would come because they knew his voice, but they would flee from the voices of strangers. There are other sheep that know this voice. It's not often that sheep make the news, but in New Zealand it seems to be a common occurrence. And there was one a couple years ago by the name of Shrek. And Shrek gives us an interesting example of what it means if someone is calling you and, and you don't want to listen. You see, for six years, Shrek remained unshorn. When the hirelings came to bring him in to muster, this merino sheep took off and kept his wool for himself. The hirelings would come and call, and he would hide in caves and thickets. He would go over mountaintops, past the boundaries of his farm, and, and as far as he could go. He began to amass quite the wool, a weight that was on him. But Shrek's shepherd was persistent. He knew that it couldn't just be the hirelings anymore. It had to be him. So he pursued Shrek beyond his pen, beyond his farm, beyond his land. And he finally, after six years, caught up to him and returned him to the fold. And there he was shorn, and the wool that was on his body weighed 60 pounds. Now, a, a normal sheep, that's, a, that's about a nine-pound yield of wool, 15 if you're lucky, but 60 pounds weighed this sheep down. In the video... The shepherd beams from ear to ear, and it might be because he just quadrupled his wool intake, but it, I think it is because he was able to bear a weight for this sheep, a sheep that had gone far from his voice for such a long time. He was able to bear this weight, to bring them back to the fold, to pursue the sheep to the ends of the earth. And that's what a good shepherd does. When we escape, when we, when we try to go far, when we ignore the voice of the shepherd, he does not let us go. He pursues us and finally flings open wide the gate and ushers us into a community of love. Often we want the sheep that are in our pen to be the people that we agree with, the ones that sit in these pews inside these walls to be the ones that are easily called. We want the people that are here to be the sheep that the good shepherd is referring to. We want to believe that we've heard God's voice and we've run as fast as we could into our pen and we let the gate slam shut behind us so that we can keep a monopoly on the love of the Good Shepherd. But Jesus in John's Gospel 
is the good shepherd that cannot be bound up by fences or walls. He cannot be closed out by gates because he is the gate. He is the good shepherd. And he has others that know his voice, and we cannot stop that from happening. He has other sheep that may have been excluded from their flock or left out by other sheep. They might have run away or had gates slammed in their face. They might have been harmed or scarred by this pen, or they might have grown tired of it. They might be weighed down by the burdens of the world, unable to find love and acceptance even within their own flock. But when they hear the voice of the shepherd, the voice that they recognize, the good shepherd, they recognize it above the bleeding of other sheep, the howling of wolves, and the calls of the hireling. They hear the call of the good shepherd saying, Come, the gate is open wide. I am here to carry all burdens, to lay down my life for you, to live among you and with you. They come running. They come running towards a life of love and grace that is not bought or made, but a grace and love that is on the house. It is my prayer that this Lenten season we will not put up fences and walls. We will not mistake ourselves for the gatekeeper who decides who gets into the flock and who doesn't, but that we would listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd, that still, small, unwavering voice, that voice that is beckoning us into life eternal, into a life of love and community with all people, without exception. Amen.